give you a good old-fashioned New Hope welcome. And for those of you that are here today, welcome to our church. And so would you just rise up this morning as we're going to, for in honor of the Word of God, we're going to be looking at a very interesting story. And I've entitled this sermon, The Power of One, The Power of One. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aaron great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl. She's a main figure here today. A young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 700, wow, 50 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman I want you to heal him of his leprosy. You may be seated this morning in the house of the Lord. The power of one. The chief person we want to key on this morning is this young Jewish captive maid. And there will be some other individuals that will emerge later on in the story. One courageous girl, again, taken captive, a maid, and a woman in an area, in an era when women were not really respected that much, God was going to use her to direct Naaman to get his healing. When we talk about changing things in our world or seeing God moving in great ways, we, we're so familiar with mighty people of God in the Word of God that affected whole nations for God. We've preached about them. Joseph, Moses, Esther, Nehemiah, Daniel. Holy men and women of God who God used mightily to even change nations and turn them towards the Lord. We are so blessed and amazed by what they did. But I want to tell you this morning, throughout history, we have noted that most of the evangelism that goes on in the world today and has been going on has been through one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, missionaries, family members witnessing to other family members, sharing the good news of the gospel and turning the tide. We've been talking about turning the tide in our nation through just using their words to bless other people. And the reason I want to mention that, because sometimes we think as a small church or as an individual, how can I be used of God? The problem seems so immense and so big, the challenges that are before us. 
What kind of an impact can this church have? What kind of an impact can I as an individual have as a Christian to really help change things? And again, when we look at the immensity of the challenges and the problems, it can be quite frightening or intimidating. But I want to tell you today, I want to encourage our hearts today, the power of one person, a small group of people, can make a difference. And when we realize that the church is comprised of individuals throughout the earth who are going throughout the earth every day, hopefully sharing the gospel one-on-one -on -one with their neighbors, one-on-one -on -one with their coworkers, one-on-one -on -one with their families, and that's how God works. And there is tremendous power in that. In fact, I quote it very often a by Pastor Jack Hayford, who said it many years ago. And it really is a sobering statement when we think of individuals. He said, if every individual in the world who is a Christian would live like one for five minutes, he said, we would convert the world. It shows the inherent power that is resident within the lives of a believer as we collectively move throughout our worlds and in our families to spread the gospel. It's always done one-on-one. -on -one. In fact, Jesus spent the majority of his time on earth in his three years of public ministry ministering to 12 men who would eventually become the foundation of the church and turn their world right side up. Small groups on fire to God. And so this morning, as we look at the text, and we see the problem here, a very successful general in the army of Syria, Naaman, had a problem. He had leprosy. And we do know that leprosy was a disease that tears up the flesh, disfigures people. An awful disease. And apparently, he could not find any cure in his country. Leprosy. Leprosy. Now, when we look at leprosy from a spiritual standpoint in the Bible, it is a picture of sin. How sin ravages the lives and destroys individuals, families, and people in general. And that there is no cure for that except through Jesus Christ work on the cross of Calvary. And so when we see this picture of this uh, Syrian general by the name of Naaman, who has this disease, again, it's a picture of what sin can do, but how God would use a young Jewish captive maid who was bold enough to speak a word of faith that would direct this commander to get his healing. And so I've laid the foundation this morning. We're going to move right on. Courage and faith overcome fear. Courage and faith overcomes fear. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. That's a real declarative statement. He will heal him. No shadow of a doubt in what she said. Those words right there were the beginning. She was bold 
enough to share her faith. And that's what the Lord is looking today in spirit-energized Christians, that God would give them boldness and courage to share the word of God, to, to say a word fitly spoken when needed to touch somebody's life. But when we look at this situation in the natural, there is no way a man of Naaman's stature typically would have listened to a young captive Jewish maid who was not even of his own people. But he did. And based upon that, when we think about fears of approaching certain people because of their standing or whatever status in life or the difficulty of their problem, I have to believe that this young woman had to have some trepidation, even some fear at least at the beginning, should I really talk to this king, to this commander? Would he even listen to me? I was just taken captive. I'm the maid for his wife. I'm a domestic working in his home with all his wealth. We face that sometimes when we're trying to share our faith. And we even wonder, is there any way, anything I could say that that would change anything? But how did she overcome that? Very simply, like we have to do sometimes, she stepped out in faith and just believed God. Secondly, most importantly, she had and she knew God had the power to heal, to deliver. She fully trusted the Lord to come through. I've talked often about a simple definition of a disciple. I was taught many years ago, there are many definitions ending up typically in the same place. But the one I heard very early on in life was the definition, a convinced learner. Disciples are always learning. They're being discipled. But you know what? You will never amount to much in the kingdom of God if you are not convinced of the claims of Jesus Christ. And if you are convinced of his claims and know that it's real and it's powerful and that it works, it will give you boldness to speak because you know that it stands behind you, God himself. We have to be convinced and I believe there are so many Christians today that are afraid to witness because they're not really sure. They're still halting between two opinions, whether God really works or he doesn't. I don't know, or people will listen. But I want to tell you today, if you're convinced of the claims of Jesus Christ, you will not be ashamed to share it when the right time comes, because you'll know. The third thing, she was moved to compassion. She could have said, well, you know that rich cat? He's got all that money and all the gold. Let him suffer. Here I am, a poor maid. I don't have a dime to my name. She cut all past that. She saw the ravages of that disease on this man. Put ourselves in her place today. Do we have a burden? Are we moved in our spirits when we see things that God has the enemy is doing in the lives of people or, or, or tearing lives apart. Are, are we moved? Do we have a burden? Is our heart touched? Because that will also embolden you to share the gospel. When you see things that are being 
tossed asunder and not working out in the destruction perhaps of a life or a family member that you have, when you're moved to compassion, you'll cut past the fear and address the problem. One of the definitions also with the word compassion means to suffer with. You put yourself in that position. That could be me with the leprosy. That could be me with that disease in that family. That could be me in that family that's all being torn apart by the enemy and they're good people that shouldn't happen to them. If your heart is moved with compassion to learn to suffer with, God will move you to touch them. When Jesus looked at the multitudes, he said, the word said, his heart was moved by compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Don't you see that with the people you know that don't know Jesus? Their lives are all going up and down haywire. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They need someone to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And so she was moved. She suffered with. She shared her story. Praise the Lord. Now we have a second group of individuals again. The boldness of Naaman's Officers now emerged. We see that in chapter 5, verse 13. Because if we read the earlier passages, and we'll touch it, Naaman balked at the idea of going to dip in the River Jordan seven times. That's too much for him to do. But his officers, it says, tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So should you certainly obey him when he says simply go wash and be cured? When we look at this picture, a young Jewish maid, the commanding general's subordinate officers, these folks were telling their boss what to do. It's amazing. And to make it more difficult or to complicate matters, but Elisha had a purpose in this. When Haman, Naaman pulls up to his front door, he doesn't even answer the door if you read the scripture. He sends his messenger, and the word is, go dip seven times in the Jordan. Yes. That was done by design. It's going to test the humility of this man. He did that. And so just can you imagine the scene? What did the Bible say this man brought with him? He pulls up to the front door. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. He knocks on the front door. The man of God doesn't even leave the den. He sends his messenger to the front door. Go get it, Luke. See who's there. Oh, he wants to get healed? Tell him to go dip seven times. Naaman is furious. I'm being disrespected. The prophet don't even come to me. Wait till I get a hold of that young maid. I'm going to strangle her when I get back home. But these officers, subordinate people in his army, said... If the prophet had told you to do something difficult, he brought an awful lot of money to pay Elisha, you would have done it. 
You know, there's a lot of people today, when you tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and get saved, just asking to forgive you of your sin and receiving her, they said that sounds too simple. In fact, I've talked to people throughout my lifetime that resisted the gospel because they thought it was too simple. Like you have to earn it or work for it or be a certain way. But it is simple. And this man couldn't understand it. He comes up with all that stuff. And then he begins to argue. Go dip in the Jordan. Not once, but seven times. How foolish I'm going to look with all my expensive garments to go out in that river. And he pulls what an awful lot of people do when we share the gospel with them. Aren't the rivers back home? The rivers of Damascus, Farpar, and Abana much better than this Jordan? All religions are the same. We don't really need God. I have found a better way. And they don't want to hear that Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am, period. And we meet people that we get to that point. My family was all this way, so I'm going to stay there. There's got to be another way. It just cannot be one way. That's the reasoning of people, so many people today. And this is the reasoning that Naaman had. The only problem, he could dip 49 times, a thousand times in his rivers back home, and the leprosy would not have left. And it's the same thing with people that are trying to pursue eternal life and salvation in some other way. It's just not going to happen. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death, is what the scripture says. You've got to dip. You've got to obey. You have to follow the commands of the Lord. We have to humble ourselves before Jesus. His humility was being tested. When people start reasoning, the rivers back home, the faith I have now, or this new belief system that I have now is just as good. That's about the time where most Christians, we kind of lose our courage a bit. Man, this is going to be a hopeless case. This guy's got a yarn that he's spinning. He's got his own case built up, a real elaborate faith story he's telling me, and we kind of back off. Maybe they're a person that belongs to a cult, and well, they do this so much, he's in this, there's no way he's going to change. His, fa his family was all the way, there's no way he's going to change. When we get to situations like that, this is what we're facing with this man. But there's a solution to that. Sometimes, though, when we're dealing with people that are talking of the rivers back home, you understand what I'm talking about now their own belief system, they don't need Jesus. Sometimes it is wise not to press the issue and maybe revisit it at another time. But I want to tell you today, church, those of you that are spirit-filled believers here or wherever you are today, we have this thing that we call the unction of the Holy Spirit. You can feel it in your heart when God is telling you you need to say something. I made the mistake many, many years ago, 40 years ago, with a co-worker. And you know, I kind of, for whatever reason, resisted the witness, and I had opportunities. Eventually, we left company, we went another place, and I found out he had become a part of a cult. And I've hardly ever gotten over that because I didn't speak a word back then. 
And he followed some cult that was so ridiculous in what they were doing, and Christianity would not even require all he went through. And I made a vow before the Lord, if I ever get that unction again going forward, that tug of the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying, because he will speak to you and tell you to say something. You do it. He will prompt you to speak. That's what he did to these officers, these assistants to the general. This is what he did to this Jewish maid. They listened. They were moved by God to speak, to be bold. There's a sister that's in Hawaii right now, used to be part of the hula group that my wife is. And she talks about getting tugs from the Holy Spirit when God wants her to speak to someone. She could be at the line at the bank, or she could be at the market. And she says, I can feel the touch of the Holy Spirit telling me to say something to this person. And so often, she's spoken a word that was just needed at the moment. In fact, the Hulu group that I'm involved with, with my wife, part of, uh, part of the group are not uh, Protestant Christians. But it's because of the, the witness of this Hawaiian woman who felt a tug that I know that group that comes out to our studies on Wednesday night, she impacted their lives. And I had her share in the Wednesday life, and her presentation of the gospel was so easy. She just talked about the goodness of God and Jesus. But what I'm telling you is she looks for opportunities. God uses her that way. In fact, she's in Hawaii right now, and she joined the Y. And she says, you know, Pastor Sam, God is still using me ever so often during the day to share my faith with people I've never met before. She is bold. She listens to the voice of the Lord. How many times have we turned off our voice to the Lord saying to say something? I don't want you to lift your hands. I think probably all have done it. Well, we felt that there was an opportunity. There was to be a special moment. But something in us, fear, whatever, kept us from doing it. Let's have our spiritual antenna up all the way. So we can receive those signals from the Holy Spirit when he wants us to say something to somebody. I'm talking about the power of one today. If Christians all over the world were doing this, we would save the world. They did it. Prompts you to speak out. And they did. The final thought this morning that I want to leave with you. At the Jordan when it happened... There was no live prophet. Now, there was a prophetic word that went forth by Elisha. But he went to the river. As far as the Bible declares, it was just Naaman, his entourage, and whoever else was there. He was there. And it says in verse 11, this is one of the things that ticked Naaman off. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. He said, and I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call the name of the Lord his God and heal me. He was expecting the prophet to come out and do his God thing. Wave his magic healing wand. But I'm telling you, Elisha's in the den watching TV, right? He's cool. <laughs> He's relaxed. He had already spoken the word. 
But there was no prophet there. And I think that's significant today because we're talking about the power of one. We're just not talking about pastors. We're talking about laymen, people sitting in pews, people that go to church that have neighbors that God can use. He did hear from the Lord through the maid. There is a prophet in our land, Elisha, that can heal you. Elisha did speak the word. The Lord has already spoken the word to us through his word. We follow his word. And this we have pastors. I'm not diminishing pastors and leaders today. But I'm really talking today really a lot to the one-on-ones when people are out there during the course of the week, all of us. The first thing, Elisha wanted to show Naaman by his not showing up that this healing was going to be done at the hands of the Lord, period. Any pastor leading a church, we are nothing without God. We have no power without the Lord. We are just vessels, hopefully meet for the master's use. We are just channels of blessing. We are just mouthpieces there to speak the word. But it is God who does the healing. It is God who does the healing. And so, this young maid and these officers, these humble people, God uses to bring the healing miracle. There was no prophet at the Jordan, just that water and the command from the Lord to dip seven times. And when he came up, he just had skin like a baby. God had marvelously healed him miraculously through the power of obedience to some lay people telling him, go and dip in the river. What is our thought this morning? God uses, there's a song that was sung, ordinary people. How many of you remember that song? God uses ordinary people like Pastor Sal who's getting spontaneous right now. (laughs) This is a home church. I have fun at it. God used plain and ordinary people, and he uses them all the time, who make themselves available and who have the faith and the courage to step out when the Lord tells them to move. We remember the story of Dwight Moody, where he was brought to Christ by his Sunday school teacher. He was a, a shoe salesman in Chicago. But this Sunday school teacher had an interest in, in one young man, the power of one. You never know who you're going to lead to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look for the masses. You know, in the military, it even says, I forgot what brands, we're looking for a few good men. Ever so often, you're going to hit a winner, that one person that's going to make a difference. We've seen them throughout history. We've seen them throughout the Bible. We see them today if we're aware how God all the time uses ordinary people to direct people to Jesus Christ and receive the healing for the souls that they need. I've said it before, too, that I believe in a church that there's an awful lot of healing and deliverances that take place when a Christian meets a brother and sister in the parking lot at Starbucks, on the telephone, 
and now on the internet where people are sharing. There's an awful lot of body ministry that's going on among the lay people while the pastors are praying for their sermons during the week and the anointing of the Lord. That army of the Lord, his body, his church, you are out there witnessing, bringing people to Christ. This Hawaiian sister that's been so instrumental has never been a pastor. She probably never has even taught in a church. She's the street evangelist, you might say. Now, now she's not out preaching the streets. Her ministry is everywhere she goes. She finds an opportunity. And I don't know how many people she's probably led to the Lord Jesus Christ because she followed the prompting and the moving of the Holy Spirit. She had the faith and the courage to speak a word at the right time for that. And if you really want to get to test us out, do like some people too. Ask the Lord to direct people your way that you can minister to. I, I know some of you veterans here have done that, and it works. God will provide something for you, the person to you that you're supposed to minister to. Another old song. I'm catering to the older ones in my age. And it used to be, God lay some soul upon my heart. And love that soul for me. And may I humbly do my part. And I forgot the rest. I'll just say, and lead them to Jesus Christ. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart. Can you pray that? If we really want to make a difference, if we want to change our world, ask the Lord to put somebody in your heart to have a burden over. I know a pastor in a church, when they begin to think about people that need to be saved in their group, the first thing they do, they spend two weeks in prayer for individuals that they want to approach about the gospel before they even speak to them. There is prayer warfare that's going on before they even initiate talks about accepting Jesus. That's being intentional. That's being intentional. We're not haphazard as Christians. We have order. We have structure. There are steps that we follow if we want to be used by God. But one of them is, ask the Lord to lay some soul upon your heart. You, this week, for you to share, even just to pray for. To pray for. Because prayer changes things and people. And so this morning, as I bring this to a close... The power of one. Never underestimate yourself. You and Jesus are the majority, I'm telling you. If he be for us, who can be against us? Get the boldness to share the life of Jesus. And if you really get bold, don't be afraid to pray in public for people either. Now, we don't have to make a scene and start speaking in tongues full blast and yelling and put them on their forehead and say, healed in Jesus' name. We can say little simple prayers that have packed with power because then we're going to bring something else the Lord is not going to be his glory. I've seen that happen too. God help them all. I pray that we'll all be willing as individuals to share the life of Christ. Always remember the young maid and the servants. They told the boss, the high and mighty one, what to do and where to go. Seven times he comes up healed. Praise the Lord.